Blog Talk Radio. Everybody in the internet world, welcome to another Sports Tonight show. And we got a host of a, our, our, our host as there's possible. We have on our Jersey Shore slash uh, Sarasota Air Legend, Mr. Don Henderson. 
in the cold and the crazy up northeast of Philadelphia, Mr. Roger Hedler, Frank spinning the dials in down here in Tampa Bay, and Mr. Roy Cummings, uh, a legend. I guess, Roy, I'll have to start off with this thing. Thank God hockey's coming back. Yeah, Yeah, well, (laughs) the country may be in cinders by the time we get to it, but uh, I'll tell you what, guys, we could use some sports right now um, for those that are trying to find an outlet uh, away from what's going on in our country. Uh, Frank and I were just talking about it. Uh, I'm not young enough to remember riots in 62, uh, but I remember 68. This is uh, it's crazy, man. What's going on now reminds me of that. I was just a kid then, but uh, it's crazy. But, yeah, we could use some sports right now. Unfortunately, we're not going to have hockey probably till uh, the end of July, but uh, so we've got a long way to go before we get there. Right now it's looking like the NBA is going to be the first one to get back. Um, well, I mean, I guess you can count Major League Soccer. Uh, that's, gonna, that, that's apparently coming back. Um, but it looks like the NBA has got right now the best shot at getting back uh, first and actually playing some meaningful games. They've got a pretty good plan put together there. I'll tell you what, guys, as we sit here right now tonight, I'm starting to really wonder whether we're ever going to see baseball uh, this year. Uh, and if we don't see it this year, who knows if we'll see it next year because these two, uh, the players and, and owners in baseball, are, are they're as divided as the country right now. Well, Roy, they, they just turned down another, or the latest offer, I should say, uh, at least at uh, 7.15 tonight, uh, it had been an, uh, announced earlier in the day that uh, uh, the owners were not going to accept the newest offer by the Players Association. Uh, they are not real close. Uh, and yet some reports on other stations, uh, national sports stations, are saying maybe they are getting closer and maybe is something positive is going to happen. But uh, I don't believe it from what I've heard so far, Roy. Yeah, I'm with you on that, Don. I mean, here's here's what we do know. We know that, and 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 I don't think anyone expected the owners to accept the players' latest offer because it's it, the latest offer is this offer for the players to play 114 games, get a prorated salary. Um, the owners want less games. The players want more. Um, I think the owners made it rather clear before the the offer was even put down on the table that they weren't going to accept it. Um, you know, so the owners came up kind of with this, you know, 50-game idea, and but they haven't submitted that as, a, as an actual proposal that hasn't been, you know, handed across the table at the negotiating table. Uh, you know, Don, I hope you're right. I, I hope that that there's something going on behind the scenes that we don't really know about, um, you know, and that they're still talking. What bothers me is they appear to be at an impasse, and I don't like the fact that, Major League Baseball, the owners, didn't return a proposal to the players in response to their 114-game offer. Um, Even if they returned the 50-game offer, uh, again, knowing that's probably going to get turned down, at least there would be an indication that they're still talking and and trying to get something worked out. Right now, it's really kind of just hearsay that if they are still talking. We don't know if they are. Like you said, I hope they are. I I hope you're right. Uh, but it just doesn't look good. And, and I just don't see how either side can possibly fathom what their future is going to be like if they don't play something, some kind of season this year, uh, the way certainly the NBA is going to, NHL is going to. And, again, this is obviously barring 
a uh, you know a return of the virus in a worse case than it was you know the first time around. But I mean, if if things keep going as they are now, they're all going to play, and if baseball is the lone uh, outlier, that's not going to be good. Joel Sherman has been doing a terrific job in covering both sides uh, very, very evenly uh, in the New York Post. I'm a great uh, Sherman fan. And, Roger, you're closer, and uh, I get it down here in Florida, but you get the New York Post as well. Uh, he mm-hmm. is not optimistic at the moment, or at least he wasn't in today's column, uh, optimistic about what's going to happen. He, he really puts the cross on both sides equally, uh, not one or the other, uh, just explaining that uh, – you know, the animosity between the two organizations for such a long period of time, and the owners have made major moves now. I mean, they are disbanding uh, their backup players. They're talking about only having 50, you know, 30 on the roster and 50 all told, and no minor league baseball at all. They've cut the draft of only five rounds, and if you're, if you're picked after the fifth round, uh, and you elected to, to win the baseball, you're only going to get $25,000. That's the, the maximum that you can be paid if you're picked after the fifth round. Uh, so to me, uh, and they're they're letting employees go, uh, surprisingly, the Royals and the Twins, the two small market teams, are the ones that have held fast and are paying their personnel. The Yankees are going to cut back. They are uh, letting their minor league players go, and they're only paying them, what, 400 bucks a week to begin with. Uh, I don't know. Roger, you're there. You're closer to Philly than I am now. Well, I'll say it, Don. Uh, you're right. And uh, Joe Sherman's right. Uh, the, uh, the criticism goes to both sides. And uh, I think, first of all, there's a, I don't know, uh, are we getting a lot of uh, weather interference? Uh, I don't know yeah, what, there is a what the problem is. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot of weather interference. Okay, the, uh, the, the both of the leaders, in my opinion and in many, are two incompetents. Tony Clark with the players and Rob Benford with the, uh, the, the commissioner. And then what's happening is the guy that is, r- like, running the puppets, the puppet show – is Scott Boris, okay, because he's, he wants to get his cut. So he's like the guy that uh, I think really, in my opinion, from everything I've read and heard, he is like really the, the bad guy that's causing a lot of this so that they can't get together. I could never figure out why Tony Clark was picked to represent the players anyway. <clears throat> Excuse me, as I recall, he really didn't have any experience in, in anything like this. I think he was a player. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, it takes somebody uh, and not an agent that uh, will uh, try to mediate it and get everybody to care. Uh, you know, we talked about it before, Roy. And but also the fact they've now got Boris involved in it. Uh, you know, he's sort of sitting back in the back. I agree with you about Tony Clark. Uh, he had a very difficult time at the last contract uh, signing, getting the players to got to what they wanted. Uh, he came up really soft, I thought. And uh, Boris is sort of standing in the background. I don't know what his input really is. Uh, Roy, what do you think? Well, I agree with you guys on Tony Clark. Um, 
you know, he's not a lawyer, and unfortunately that's what you need right now. Is you, you know, look, this is in the hands of the lawyers. And uh, Tony Clark is not a lawyer, and I think um, his power is is immense, and uh, it may not be, you know, that may not be best for the baseball players themselves and baseball uh, as a whole. And I think we're finding that out um, because it doesn't seem like either side is is really budging here. And uh, you know, I think there has there has to be a common ground. It, it, it doesn't. It doesn't seem to me as if it should be that difficult to come up to come to common ground here. Um, look, it, it, from the player's standpoint, and I agree. I mean, Joel Sherman is right. This is on both sides. Um, the owners have to give up a little something here. But I, well, you have, I think the players have to see the owner's side and say, look, you know, if, if you're getting 40% of your revenues from, from, uh, from tickets and things like that and, you know, people in the stands and you're not going to have people in the stands and you're basically looking at a season where you have no revenue and you're just paying out, you know, salaries, well, there's got to be a point where it's like how much of a loss can we take? You know, I, I think the players have to look at it from that standpoint as well. And I know the players are, you know, they're, look, they, they're basically negotiating from the stance of we're going to take a loss here. Uh, we're not going to get what we usually get. Well, guess what? The owners are guaranteed they're not going to get what they're, they usually get because, you're gonna, you know, you're not going to play that many games, and they're not going to be stand, anybody in the stands for them. So Roy, I, I think both I, sides I agree have with to you. kind of I, look but, at the other side and just see what's going on. Roy, I, I want to ask you, what is your opinion of Scott Boris involved in, in this whole scenario? Guys, I, I've known Scott Boris since I was 14 years old uh, when he was a, a minor league player with the, uh, the St. Petersburg Cardinals and the St. Louis Cardinals organization. I, I knew him as a player um, when he was a player, and, and he's, he's, incre- he's look, he's, our, he's the most powerful man in baseball. Um, right. There's no doubt about that. He's a smart man. He has uh, figured out a way to uh, uh, maximize every player uh, contract that he's uh, – that he's that has put under his nose, and um, he's good, he's good at what he does. But I don't think he has a place in these negotiations. Um, I think Major League Baseball and the Players Association have to get together and say, "Hey, look, Scott, we appreciate your input, but it's not welcome here. Not now. We can't use it now. This is not where you negotiate. You negotiate between players and teams. We're negotiating between owners owners and." you know, uh, the, the players in mass. You don't represent every player in Major League Baseball, and you don't represent owners in any way. So uh, I, think, I think he's an unwelcome uh, arbiter here, and I, and I think he's causing more trouble than he's, uh, uh, than he's you know, eliminating. So I don't like the fact that he's involved, uh, even to the small degree that he may be. That, but, but you're right, I, I think people are listening to him uh, certainly on the player's side, and he's, uh, he's he's got his thumb on the scales, and I think that's hurting the the progress here. That's the I problem. think one thing, too, fellas, he has to take into consideration, and Tommy uh, opened up the show talking about uh, the National Hockey League, and Lou Lamorella, I thought, uh, really came out very, very strong. I have such great respect for him and the job he did in New Jersey, the job he's doing with the Islanders, the job he did in Toronto, and his knowledge of the game and the league. And he came out so strongly commending the leadership in the National Hockey League to put together the system that they're going to use. He did not think there was any disagreement 
between the owners and the players and getting it started with the way they were going to do it. As you said at the top of the show, Roy, basketball seems to have had the same kind of leadership. They look like they're maybe the first team to come back and be in, in action. How difficult it's going to be and where it's going to be, whether it's in New Orleans or uh, uh, where, I don't know where they're going to start, with, uh, Orlando, I think it is. Orlando. Orlando, yeah. But those two leagues are, are on the move. Baseball, in my view, and you guys know as well, I think they're going backwards. They are. They are. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Don, you're you're absolutely right. You're talking, when you talk about the National Hockey League and the NBA, you're talking about two very progressive organizations. They are progressive. They are always looking for ways to improve and and make their their games better, Uh, whereas baseball has always been very slow to do that. Um, you know, they, they kind of, baseball takes uh, change uh, much harder than uh, – and, and maybe it's because of the tradition of the game. You know, the NBA is, uh, is, doesn't have the tradition that the, NA, that, that the Major League Baseball has. Uh, the NHL certainly doesn't have – I mean, the NHL has plenty of tradition, but it's also, it also realizes that it, it can't survive with six teams up in, you know, a, a small pocket of uh, – uh, North, northern uh, United States and Southern Canada. It knows that. So, I mean, it's, it's had to be progressive. But baseball has not been progressive. And, and I, I think it's, it's feeling the effects of that right now because, look, you're at a point here, guys, and we, this baseball season, if it, if, it ever, if it ever comes around, is not going to be like any other baseball season we've ever had. And I right. think you start with that premise. You start, gentlemen, owners, players, it is not going to be what we are accustomed to. It won't be as long. It won't be as lucrative. It won't be as uh, attended. It, it won't be like any – this will be unlike any other season we've ever had in this game. We have to accept that from, from the beginning and realize that we're not – this is not going to be the money-making season for anybody. Players are going to make less. Owners are going to make less. How do we make this game better this year? How do we put something together for our fans that allows our players to – that celebrates the game – for as great as it is and shows it to be great while still allowing fans to see it in the best way possible. That's, that's where you got to start. And I don't think that's well, going back to Tommy's point though, Roy and, and Roger and Frank, that uh, the only real stumbling block the national hockey league has at the moment, as Lou pointed out at great depth is they want to use Toronto, but now mm-hmm. they've got to get permission because they're going across the border and the virus and all they have to somehow come up with a decision as to where they're going to play the games or whether they can play some games in Canada or whether they have to play all the games in the United States. But that's really the only stumbling block they have, not how many they're going to, teams are going to be involved, not the system that they're going to use, but only the location because of the border. Is Canada going to allow people just to fly in without a 14-day restriction? Or what are they going to do? They still have to work on that. Hey guys, I think a great suggestion would be have the NHL play games <clears throat> in Buffalo and Cleveland because it's right by the Canadian borders. Those cities are centrally located for the, for the teams like for teams like in New York, the Islanders and Boston to take an hour jet ride to Cleveland or Buffalo for Pete's sake, or even or even not, not Chicago, but those two cities right there 
have nothing going on with their abilities, and that's the perfect spot for Bevin to play this game right now. Well, I think Roger, they'll be able to figure that out. In, uh, in, in, in Philadelphia about the Flyers. Well, they, you know, they think the Flyers, if they get this thing going, they, uh, they, uh, if they continue like they were playing before the stoppage, I mean, they're, everybody's really excited about it. But, you know, the other thing is, the, the, uh, and, uh, and Tommy's got a good point, uh, Buffalo and Cleveland, uh, because they are close. You can make it to Toronto in less than two hours. But uh, right. I think it still comes up to, uh, to about the uh, testing. Of the virus is totally different than it was two months ago. I mean, you know, Buffalo has a new facility, too. I mean, they're, you know, their building is not that old. Uh, and so they would certainly be playing in a, in a top-notch arena. Right. Well, the other thing is Pennsylvania, uh, you know, today, Montgomery County, uh, and uh, I mean, it's expected. And in two weeks, if everything is the same, they go green. Now, my daughter lives up above Harrisburg, as as Don knows, about 45 minutes. They have been green since last Friday, which means that they can also now have used sports. And the governor of Pennsylvania has already announced that schools can go back if they want to, you know, catch up by first, first uh, all schools. So the whole situation has changed. I think that can be done, you know, quickly today. Uh, it's totally different than when we first started talking about all these issues. But that's my opinion from what I've read and I've, I've uh, heard. Roy? Um, yeah, I th- look, when the NHL gets going or when any of these uh, leagues get going, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be really interesting because we just don't know, you know, what these teams are going to be like at that point. Um, you've had an opportunity here for teams to get healthy. Um, but you've also had teams that, you know, players have been sitting around for a long time. So, you know, I don't know who the, I don't know who gets the advantage. Um, is it, you know, is, is the most talented team? You would think so, but, you know, if the most talented team isn't uh, the most fit team at that point uh, physically because uh, they didn't get as much of a chance to work out or whatever it might be, uh, it's going to be interesting. But, um, look, I, I think we're going to have <clears throat> I, I don't know that we're going to have it for much of the summer, but I think by the end of July, I think we're going to have uh, at least hockey and basketball and football just around the corner. So, um, that'll get us through if, uh, you know, as long as we don't have another uh, rise in this pandemic. So uh, we've got that to look forward to. And, again, if, if baseball can't figure out a way to join the party, they're really yeah. going to suffer as a result. Well, the first yeah. major decision was made today, and I have to say uh, Notre Dame uh, was one of the first to come out and say that they were going to open up practice and they were going to do this and that. And they said exactly when they were going to do it. And today they made the announcement that uh, along with the Naval Academy, they're going to pull the game away from overseas, and they're going to play their first game, and it's going to be played at Annapolis. Uh, It is not going to be played outside the country. So, uh, again, Notre Dame has been a leader in getting started with with the practice, uh, getting started with the schedule, and now making the first move as to where they're going to play a game. 
That's good news. I mean, uh, again, uh, we're you know we're slowly getting back to uh, you know to normal here, and uh, the more I think as time goes on, and, if, and again, if if we don't see a, a rise in positive uh, cases of coronavirus, uh, we've got a shot at, at, at getting back to getting back to where we were. You know, it, it may be two three months, but we got a shot at you know having a full college season, perhaps a full NFL season. Uh, these truncated NBA and NHL seasons, which is fine. Again, uh, we all have to accept the fact it's going to be different. But, again, it's really just kind of a matter of making sure that everything, you know, continues to go in a positive direction from a health standpoint. Because I can tell you one thing, guys. Here in Florida, the governor just today announced that he's going to move on to phase two of the reopening pro- uh, program. Unfortunately, he announced that on the day that uh, – uh, the most positive cases of coronavirus in the last month was uh, was announced. So um, that's not a positive move, but um, uh, we'll see where it all goes. Roy, well, I, I think mean, your, old, your original statement, and I, I guess Roger and Tommy would agree, I, to me at this point uh, I am most optimistic about the National Football League getting in a full season. I think they're going to be – although they did announce today, again – uh, the commission made a ruling, stepped up and made a ruling. Uh, there's not going to be any uh, inter-game scrimmages. Yeah, remember, they, uh, for instance, the Giants and Jets used to do it. The Eagles did it. Everybody had a, a team that they worked out with. Uh, they're not going. That decision was made today and voted by everybody. They're not going to do that. You got to. You have to practice on your own, execute on your own. And but I really believe that they've got the best shot to play a full season and very close to starting time. Don, I want to follow up on that, and I want to get Roy involved because I read an article today. uh, You may have seen it. And, Roy, I know you're involved with medical publications, so you do a lot of – see a lot of information. I heard today about the vaccine uh, that uh, Dr. Fauci was quoted that – uh, they have done, I think, seven tests on the vaccine. And what the plan is, from what I read, that what he said, is that they are producing that vaccine and uh, assuming that it's going to be good so that they're going to be ahead of the curve. So it won't be like, okay, it gets approved, and now you've got to start producing it. They are taking a chance that it's going to work and that it will be a good vaccine, so they're going to get ahead of it and in production. I think that is a great idea. Is that the one from England or is that the one from Sweden? Which one is it? I don't. I, I don't know, Don, which one it was. It, I bet it was. It was more of a general uh, statement. Okay. But Roy, I don't. You're, you're in that business. I don't know whether you saw anything about like uh, on that subject today or not. Yeah, well, guys, there's there's several vaccines in production, and uh, actually there's there's hundreds that are in production um, right now. Uh, but there are uh, there's a handful that are they're basically kind of circumventing um, the the usual standard protocol for getting these to trial. Um, they're kind of going through a couple of couple of the phases of that very quickly, uh, and and offering this up to volunteers and things like that. Uh, so that they just what Don, I'm sorry, just what Roger said, which is uh, have this thing ready to go, knowing that it it appears to work, um, you know, ahead of when you normally would. That's one of the reasons these things usually take a year or two to develop, 
is because once they get developed, well, then you got to get approval for uh, for trial, and then you got to put them through trial, and uh, usually you got to go through two or three trials. Uh, in this case, it's kind of going to probably be you know kind of learning on the like just kind of like you might somehow learn a new job uh, as you go. They're going to try this uh, these vaccines as they go, and and uh, if they if they see something positive in one of them, they're going to start putting it out there if they think that it's safe. The key thing is making sure that it's safe. The the time uh, element here, the most uh, critical time element, is the period when uh, to make sure that there aren't any side effects that are uh, hazardous, uh, truly hazardous side effects. Some of these vaccines will have side effects, but they're trying to make sure that uh, before they can give it out to the public, you got to make sure that those hazardous side effects are, are, are minimal. And if they are, uh, or if they're not, they, they have to let people know what they are and, you know, who can and can't take the, the vaccine. So, but the bottom line is they are fast-tracking these vaccines, the ones that uh, they believe have the most promise. But there's, there's hundreds in, in production right now. So uh, if the, you know, six or seven or eight that they're really pushing right now don't work, there's probably another six or eight or a dozen behind them that uh, uh, could step in and, and be replaced by them and be used by people. And, again, they're hoping to have that done by the end of the year, early next year, but some of them are showing enough promise in, in early trials that there's some talk about possibly having this stuff in place by September, October. So we'll see. Um, and, again, that goes to what Don's saying, which is why I, I think the NFL – clearly has the best chance here of putting together a full season because by the time okay. they're ready to go, we may have a vaccine in place. There's no guarantee. It's still a long shot, but there's a chance that could happen. Yeah, Ooh, I didn't Roy, see thank September you very much for another October, Roy. First half hour. We look forward to next week. I tell you, I, I really uh, – I, I, I said this Don, was a, a great first half hour. I really enjoyed Frank is standing in the wings because we're going to switch to baseball here and uh, – He's got a very special guest coming up next, so Frank, go to it. Well, yes, I'd like to introduce our uh, assistant uh, director of athletics at Eckerd College. Uh, for 24 seasons, he was the head baseball coach, with a total of 504 wins, which has made him uh, part of their Hall of Fame because he's the winningest coach at Eckerd College uh, history. Uh, he's had members of his, uh, his his teams uh, go on to MLB. Um, uh, some of the likes of them are uh, Brian Butterfield, went to the Blue uh, Blue Jays, Carlos Tosco, went to the Braves, and Brian um, went to the Giants. Um, so uh, without further ado, I'd like to introduce Coach Bill Matthews. Hello, Bill. Hello, Jim. Bill's the best. How are we doing? Yeah, it's Bill, good. always it's great to, to hear your voice. Good to be with you guys. Yeah, it's good to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'll tell you, it's great to have you on again, Bill. And uh, right in the midst of things, I know you've been having some long, long, I don't understand it, two- and three-hour meetings that you fellows have been going through with the new rules. And just add to what Frank said, because we get new listeners each and every week all around the country. And uh, you're also and uh, have been the official scorer uh, at the TROP for many, many years now. So, you have to be very much involved in the rules and regulations of baseball. What is happening? Well, there's there's going to be six new rules that are going to be implemented, and I'll talk about those in a few minutes. The first thing we have to do is figure out when and if and where and how we're going to play. 
it's Amen. an impasse right now. Um, everybody's turning down everybody else's proposition. Uh, initially, it was floated at 82 games, which makes it a half a season. Then it was 114 games that was turned down. Then it was 50 games that was turned down, either by the owners or by the by the players' union. So now we're, we're, we're kind of at an impasse. Um, you could go back to the 82 number. That's exactly halfway between 50 and 114. Imagine that. Um, I think there's going to be a season. I think there's going to be a season for a lot of different reasons. Baseball understands the social dynamic of the necessity of having a baseball season. Um, it's, it's crucial to baseball to have a baseball season. It doesn't matter if they beat the NHL or the NBA to open the doors first or, or USL or, you know, whoever else, it, it doesn't matter. There just has to be a baseball season. And I think both sides are going to come to their uh, senses. And I think within seven to 10 days, we're going to have an agreement and we're going to have a date as to when spring trading is going to kick off and uh, maybe have our first games by mid July and maybe finish up by mid November. If I had to, if I had to speculate, and that's mm-hmm. purely speculation. I well, you, know, good yes. to me, you get a feel for for anything. You, you, you know what I mean? We're, we talked about Tony Clark. We talked about Boris in the background. We talked about uh, the commissioner. Uh, how do you see it? How do you see or the people behind the scenes? How do you, how do you yeah, see that's, this that's thing? That's a really interesting question. Tony Clark, uh, I've had an opportunity to, to sit with him and talk with him, and he's uh, he's in it for the betterment of the game. <clears throat> he's in it for the betterment of the players, of course, because that's his job. But it, the, the utmost goal that he has is for the betterment of the game. Scott Boris, and I never thought I would hear myself say this, Scott Boris is actually an ally to the owners right now. Probably because of his cut from everybody's paycheck. But right. Right. after after Blake Snell opened his mouth and spouted and, and just that crazy monologue he went off on, he dropped his agent and he went to Scott Boris because someone somewhere, some anonymous person said, you need to hook up with Scott Boris because if anybody's going to save your career and teach you how to shut up and when to do it, it's going to be Scott Boris. So he switched over to Boris for that reason, because he needs somebody to teach him that the game has been around for a long time without you, and it will also continue without you if somebody lets you go. So, you know, crazy as it sounds, Scott Boris is, uh, he's, I don't know that he's an integral player, but he certainly is going to be integral for, um, as far as um, Blake, Blake Snell goes, there's, there's no doubt about that. Um, the commissioner, he's in the toughest position in the world right now. You know, he works for the owners. He represents the players and the image and the persona of Major League Baseball. Um, I wouldn't want to be in his position for all the money in the world. Um, tough spot, but I think everybody's going to come to their senses. This is a Baseball is a sport that teaches us life lessons, and one of the life lessons that you that you realize in baseball is the fact that common sense usually reigns supreme, and gut instinct is usually your best instinct. And uh, I think everybody knows that, and I think everybody's just going to eventually say, "Hey, look, let's just put it all aside and let's just play." So 
I think seven to ten days you're going to get a settlement. Tommy, jump in. All right, that's great news, Bill. So, I mean, this is going to be great for baseball. But it's going to be kind of funny, guys, when you think about this, Bill and everybody. All the three, three out of four major sports will be playing the playoff games, and baseball is starting. And it's going to be crazy. I mean, it's just going to be the craziest time ever in sports history. You have the NHL playoffs, the NBA playoffs, baseball just started, football right around the corner. I mean, for a sports fan, it's going to be, it's going to be, be in heaven. But we got to hope and pray to get this out. This virus on a curve, and it's open frame. We can get back to semi-normal up there. So I, I think I love to see baseball. But I tell you one thing, Bill. I'm sick of seeing Korean baseball with those figurines behind old plate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't think it's a matter of the virus anymore, Tommy. I think it's a matter of uh, unadulterated greed. And and yeah, sure, the virus has a lot to do with it. And and you know, there's crazy talk about. You can't put the players in the dugouts. So we're going to put them in the stands. Well, nobody wants to sit in the stands, as you guys know, in Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., St. Louis in August because you melt. Right. Great. Right. Players are looking for a little special dispensation, maybe being able to use suites, for example. So they, if they can't be in the dugout, let them use half a dozen suites or whatever the number may be because there's no fans in the stands. So they right. have air conditioning. They'd hop in the elevator. They'd come down. It's, you know, it sounds crazy. But, um, but you also can't have them sit there for what if it's a 14-inning game and you got guys sitting in the stands in St. Louis on August 10th. They're going to be evaporated by the time the, the manager wants them to get in the game and pinch hit or whatever the case may be. So, Sure, it's you know some of it is the virus, but I think right now, even without the virus, um, which which sure was the impetus for all of this, I think it's just greed right now, and then we're just trying to get everybody on the same page in terms of how much do you want to give up because this is how much I want to make. It's Roger. the nature of the sport, it's the nature of the animal. Oh, I agree with Bill a hundred percent. It's all greed, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's absolutely ridiculous that they can't come to. Uh, uh, some kind of agreement. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I thought that, uh, like, they'd be ready to go July 1st. And I was like you, Bill, anywhere from 82 to, say, 100 games, you know, something like right. that. But right. uh, I, 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 I think, like, what Tommy said, we'll be in sports heaven. Well, we'll ho- hopefully, then we'll be coming out of sports hell into heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's going to be kind of fun eating uh, Thanksgiving turkey and watching Game Seven. It's going to be a blast. Yeah, right, right. Well, Bill, let's let's before we get too deep into, let's get to the new rules. You said six new rules, and you spent a lot of yes, time sir. with your uh, cohorts in meetings, and uh, I guess you did it on Zoom, right? You didn't actually get together personally, but uh, no. give us the update. Well, uh, I'll go through them, and I, I've kind of broken them down so that everybody can kind of get a piece of each. Um, the first one is the active roster goes from 25 to 26 and then goes to 28 in September instead of 40. So that, that makes my job a lot easier. Um, the, 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 the question is, who's player number 26? Is it an extra hitter? Is it a defensive specialist? Is it a third catcher to save somebody's legs and arm? Or is it the extra reliever? makes sense to make it the extra reliever and carry 13 pitchers on the roster along with 13 position players, but every team's going to do it differently. So that's going to be the first one. It's going to add a player on the active roster 
until the playoffs when you're going to get to add two more players. So I think what teams are going to do right now, speculation is they're going to have a kind of a practice squad working out um, at their spring training complexes or wherever they choose of 30 guys and just let them play inner squads. There'll be no inter-team play, just inner squads. And then you can pick your uh, one, two, or three guys off of that taxi squad. So that's the first one. Uh, the second one, this is an interesting one. Every team must label every single player as either a pitcher, a position player, or a two-way player. Now, to qualify as a two-way player, you have to have had one season of 20 innings pitched and 20 games started with at least three plate appearances or more as a position player or DH during the same season. So the only two guys right now that qualify for that are Shohei Otani with the Angels and Brendan McKay with the Rays. Mm. Interesting stat that goes along with this, though. Um, if you track position players pitching over the last decade, in 2019 you had 90 games where there was a position player who appeared on the mound. The previous high was 65, which was the year before in 2018, and it drops to 40 in 2017. So there's more and more and more position guys throwing. So what does Major League Baseball do? They institute another rule. Now they get a position player can pitch rule. So the position player can pitch rule reads, position players can only pitch in extra innings or if the game is in six-run plus or minus differential after the seventh inning begins. So now they're going to try to knock down the number of innings that are being thrown by position guys. And that leads us to the next rule change, which is the reliever rule. They're trying to eliminate position players throwing by making relievers throw more. So the rule for relief pitchers is a pitcher must face three batters or pitch to the end of the half inning. Now, if you look over the course of baseball, the great majority of short, short relief appearances are inning-ending appearances. So there's, there's, no, there's no issue with this rule whatsoever. It, it usually is. The guy comes in and finishes the inning. The only exception is the infamous loogie, the left-handed one-out guy, which the uh, acronym they give it is the loogie, and he's the guy who's going to be primarily impacted. <clears throat> he's the guy who comes in left-handed, throwing funk from down under, way out on the side, trying to get the left-handed hitter out. He's the guy that's going to be hurt by this. But how many loogies are there in the history of baseball? You know, 20, maybe. Um, so I think that's going to be a good rule. I think it's going to, it's, it's not going to change much because most of the short relief appearances are inning-ending uh, inning appearances anyway. But I think it's good to put a pitcher out there and make him pitch. It's going to eliminate the opportunity to put position guys out there. Tied and it should speed up the game. I think it will, for no, no question. And, and I think the next, uh, the next rule, the challenge time being reduced from 30 seconds to 20 seconds, you don't realize how, how long 30 seconds is until you realize that 20 seconds is the time you're supposed to have from the time the pitcher receives the ball till the time he throws the next pitch. That's pretty quick turnaround. That's when we have to make our decisions on the previous play as official scores. So I think it's going to be an interesting change. 30 seconds seems like a half an inning when you're sitting there in the press box and you're watching the guy looking at the guy with the phone in his hand, waiting for the video guy in the clubhouse to tell the guy on the phone 
whether or not to look at it to tell a manager to go ahead and signal. It, it, it's just it's a it's a it's a process that needed to be refined. And I think cutting it to 20 seconds is going to cut down a lot of that telephone time. Guys are going to act, have to act and think more quickly on their feet. Um, the last rule is the uh, the injured list rule. Uh, if you're going to put a pitcher on the IL, pitcher has to now spend 15 days, not 10, on the IL. What happens with 10 days is you can mess with that number if it's a starter um, and, and only have him miss one start. If you mm-hmm. backdate the injury and it's it's Wednesday, you backdate it to Sunday, he started on Wednesday, well, then he's already three days into his, at that time, disabled list appearance. So now he's only got to serve seven days, which is only one start. Now if you go to 15 days, you can't play with the numbers. It's straight up two starts, straight up. You, 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 there's no way you can manipulate it to make the pitcher uh, only, only miss one one start on the bump. So you've got the active roster change, labeling player change, three batter change, injury list change, challenge time change, and position players only making their appearance in uh, in extra innings or with a six-plus run differential for either your team or the other team. There you go. 90 seconds. Bill, I, I think everybody's, uh, everybody's starting to realize that you know, we love the replay because everybody wants to get everything right. However, the National Football League has gone away from it now on pass interference. Baseball is trying to step it up. I think they realize now that it's a, it's a great advantage in, in baseball and football, but you have to do it more quickly. Of course. And, and if we, as the official scorer, if we can make our decision on a double rundown with nine touches and an earned run or unearned run crossing the plate during the rundown, if we can do that in 20 seconds, you can make a decision on whether or not you want to question a safer out call in 20 seconds. You're only looking at one thing. We're looking at multiple things, and we're, for the most part, getting it fairly correct. I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a great rule. I think it, it forces everybody to let the game be the game. It's not going to be manipulated by the, by the human factor. Well, Bill, I, I hope you'll stay with us. Uh, normally, we we get out a little bit early and, and uh, on a 15-minute mark, but I'd like you to stay with us a little bit longer because, you know, I, I've been doing these shows for over 50 years. I've never had the stars come in alignment like they are right now. Our next <laughs> guest is Tom Dedenfuer, and, of course, he played 10 years in the Major League, started off with the Los Angeles Dodgers in 1981. Can he talk about a shortened season? Absolutely. That's when the strike was. And he got to the, the uh, National League playoffs in the World Series his very first year. Just a, a, an outstanding reliever. So, Bill, you're talking about relief pitching, and that's exactly what uh, he's an artist. And also, he uh, got five good innings in, in that 1981 World Series against the Yankees, which the Dodgers won. And uh, so he's played for – traded to Baltimore. He played for Seattle. Uh, he played for St. Louis in the end. Uh, he was out in a championship series with the St. Louis Cardinals. We'll touch on that one very briefly uh, in uh, 1983 and uh, 85. Of course, uh, again we have a lot of a lot of changes in what's happening with it, with uh, championship series and so forth. So, Tom Niedermeyer, first of all, uh, you were first hand first handedly involved in the strike year. 
what does it mean to the players? What does it mean to the game? And what was your attitude and how you approached it? Well, actually, um, it benefited me from the aspect I was I was a young kid in double-A baseball. So I got called up right after the strike that year, as a matter of fact. So it really it didn't involve me that year, and uh, I was able to come up right after that year. But uh, uh, this year is a whole different animal than 1981, though. I mean, 1981, they played half the season or almost half the season by that point. So uh, this year is a, a whole strange basket of eggs, and uh, no one knows what's going to happen this year. Bill? Yes, sir. Oh, I thought you were going to ask a question. Okay. But uh, let's get, let's uh, let's keep going then because uh, it, it's very very interesting as we look at the negotiations going on right now, Tom. Uh, you know they they put another offer on the table today. Uh, you were in the league for ten years, uh, a member of the, obviously the Baseball Players Association. Uh, what do you what do you think both sides are thinking at the moment? Uh, well, I think I think first of all we're getting uh, you know the the horse way in front of the carriage here from the aspect of we don't even know what's going on with this coronavirus right now to see if anything's going to be able to be played. I mean, there's, there's still a lot of factors from that aspect. As far as uh, you know, people have talked about comparing it to why does the NBA and the NHL be able to come back right away? Well, the biggest difference in them is they played 80 percent of their seasons. They can come back and go right into the playoffs. So baseball never even got out of spring training. So uh, they, they worked out a, uh, an agreement, I believe it was March 25th, uh, where, you know, they were going to be prorated salaries and when they came back and see how long it was going to be. And then, uh, you know, once the, the owners saw that it wasn't going to be fans in the stands, they came back with, uh, this other, other proposal a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, now I think they want to do a 50 game season. So I, I don't really see that working out myself. Tom, let's talk about uh, when they could get started. Let's say uh, hypothetically that they come to some type of agreement within the next seven days. How much time, especially from a pitching standpoint, which right up your alley, how much time are they going to need to get ready, or do you think they're just going to let the pitchers pitch two or three innings and make a constant rotation at the pitching staff, or what are they going to do? Um, I'm pretty sure most of the guys have kept their arms in decent shape. You know, obviously not spring training shape, but um, from what I've gathered, if something happened in the next, like you said, a week, or I'd even say two weeks, you could have a two-week extended spring training after that. And, uh, you know, you could get to where starters should be able to go five to six innings, which truthfully, with the, the way the game's played nowadays, that's what they're going anyway. So uh, I, I don't see it being that much because I think the guys are in such much better shape nowadays than they were back in the old days that uh, most of them are in pretty good throwing shape right now from what I've heard. Tom, yeah, we've I got have reporters a, in Philadelphia and Tampa, Don. Florida, and uh, Roger Hendler is in Philadelphia right now and has been covering the, the Phillies, the Eagles, and the, and the Flyers for so many years, I can't tell you. Uh, Roger, go to it. Yeah, I, the question I have, and I heard this earlier today on a uh, discussion, uh, they're not go- they're going to be at their home ballparks, Tom, and that's it's not going to be where they're able to like go down at the Clearwater for the Phillies, where they have multiple uh, you know uh, playing fields. They're only going to have it. How do, do you think that's going to have a big effect, or do you think what they'll do is they'll work it out and and go in the area to to college, excuse me, college fields 
uh, to play. Now, I will tell you, in Pennsylvania, uh, in the green areas, and my daughter lives in one of them up above Harrisburg, and a lot of the areas, Philadelphia and this area, is going to go yellow on Friday. And if there's not an increase in the virus, they'll be green in two weeks. When you're when it's green, you can have youth baseball. So, you know, that would uh, get kids out on the field, which would be a real positive, I think. Uh, but I wonder about just being able to play in, in the home ballpark, or do you think that there are some options? I have not heard of any options. Well, I'll address I'll that from a college I'm not, Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, the, go the, ahead, the, Bill. The liability, the liability factor, talking from a risk management um, standpoint, having had a lot of international teams and some minor league teams work out at my park, um, college fields just are not pro fields, even even minor league complex fields. Um, the, the liability and risk factor, especially in such a volatile climate as it is right now, man, you'd be crazy to accept an, uh, an opportunity to have a, a pro team play at your park just to take on that liability. There's, there's no way. I think it's going to be home ballparks or spring training sites or nothing. Tom, how would you go about it? Well, I, I, I think it's, it's just also, I think you really have to do the home ballparks. I, you know, as far as the extended spring training, most of the teams, by the time the, the, this had hit and they shut down, they were down to probably 35 guys on their roster. So, you know, you don't need to trim the roster that much. And, and I, I don't, haven't even heard the particulars if they're talking about expanded rosters to start the season. I'm assuming they are. So uh, there really won't be that much as far as the two weeks of spring training that uh, you have to look at guys that much. To, you wouldn't be having to cut that many guys down. Mm. Tom, the other, yeah. the other thing I'd like you to touch on uh, from a legal standpoint, you're one of the, one of the players, as I see, you were invited to, in the short season, your World Series, your a little bit of everything, but you were also in the collusion, <laughs> and uh, you came out pretty strong on that collusion, and uh, that must have been a, a little bit of an unusual situation when the owners all got together and said, "Hey, we're going to knock these guys off. We're not going to let them. We're not going to give them any raises. How about that?" Well, not only weren't they going to give us raises, and I mean. I was a decent ball player in my day, but I sure wasn't close to a Hall of Famer. They didn't even offer Tim Raines or Lance Parrish a contract when they were free agents. So it was it was right. pretty blatant back in the days. It wasn't just uh, trying to keep salaries down. They actually didn't even offer those guys contracts where they had to go back to their same team and uh, couldn't even start the season until May. They had to sit up for a couple months back then. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, – there's a whole lot of stuff going on. There's a thing that really, you know, they're talking about all these negotiations. The part that I really feel sorry for is they have cut the draft this year. So guys in high school and college were working, you know, hoping for their dreams to five rounds this year instead of 40 rounds. And, and that's a huge imp- – anyone after the fifth round could be signed, but, but the max is a $20,000 bonus. So I was looking. Last year, a fifth-round draft choice in Major League Draft, the average signing bonus was $370,000. The sixth round was at an average of 280000 So now if you were not drafted in the top right five rounds, you're going from a sixth-round pick of two hundred eighty to a $20,000 max, which really is tough on these high school and college kids that have worked hard to have this opportunity. Well, you know, I agree with you. And the other thing I'm concerned about, because I am a big fan and a proponent of minor league baseball, and, you know, there, uh, there's a lot of minor league teams that are going to be cut in these, communities like up in this area Reading 
Philly's been there for years, the Iron Pigs up in uh, Lehigh Valley. But the, the question I have is, do you see, the, you know, because it's a separate organization, yes, to an extent, okay? But do you see that with uh, minor league baseball being cut, that all of a sudden you may have some corporation uh, come in uh, or, or start and, and revitalize minor league baseball, which they would control a lot of these players that are not uh, in that, uh, t- you know, that five-round draft. What do you think about that at, at all? You know what? I never even thought of it from that aspect. I know even before the coronavirus, I was, they were trying to cut a lot of minor league teams, which is a shame because it, not, I was only in the minors two months. I was very glad not to be in the minors for that long. But for the smaller <laughs> communities, it is such a great thing, uh, a minor league uh, situation and the ballparks and what they can do for a community. But uh, you know what? If it does get to that aspect, you could almost look at, like, if, from a, a business standpoint, maybe like the, the, uh, in the Minnesota, the Midwest, that independent league, which was doing fairly well, you know, and getting some bigger-name players at the end of their career. They could maybe pick up the slack and have a, a bigger independent league, something like that. We talked yeah, well, to I'm, I'm, it was surprising to me that two of the smaller franchises, the Royals and Minnesota Twins, are the only ones so far that are continuing to play, to pay their personnel. The Yankees are going to cut out. I think they have one more week to go, something like that, and the front office is going to take a looks like a half cut. Uh, it, it's very, very interesting to me that, uh, you know, if you don't have some type of minor league support, you're, you're going to have what, as as Bill just said, 26 people on the roster, 28 for the playoffs, and you're only going to have an extra 20 people if somebody gets hurt. I mean, uh, you're really working on a short sheet, aren't you? It, it sure appears to be that way, and uh, like, like I, said, I think a lot of this. I mean, and. I'm obviously biased. I was a player. I played for 10 years. I, like you said, I went through the strike in 1981. I went through a lockout in 1990 where we weren't allowed to go to spring training. I was involved in the collusion case. So I'm very skeptical about a lot of what do the owners say. Um, in 1990, they, they were crying poverty and this and that. And they finally somewhat opened their books. They, they obviously will never open their books all the way. But they somewhat did. And it was found before we went back that year, that all the owners were going to make money before one fan entered the building. So uh, it's hard to say. And, and so many teams own separate, separate things. The, the St. Louis Cardinals own the Cardinals and, uh, and Bush beer, you know, Michelob beer. So Anheuser-Busch. So you can manipulate numbers any way you want to make it look like you're making money or losing money. Well, Tom, you work for, uh, I think, two of the greatest organizations in baseball, uh, certainly in the National League. The Los Angeles Dodgers have been kingpins for such a long period of time. And one thing about the Dodgers, uh, when you played uh, in, in the World Series against the Yankees, the Dodgers never beat the Yankees. You got there the first year and wound up beating the Yankees after you took Montreal last. How did you feel it? Well, coming up, as you said, after the, after the lockout, you come up, you have a great second half of the season. You can win the playoffs. Now you're in the World Series. Did you ever dream coming out of Washington State that halfway through the season you were going to be on a world championship team? <laughs> no, no. I mean, it was just such a dream year. I, you know, I, I was signed late the summer before out of Washington State, and I, I was invited to Arizona Instructional League. And right before spring training started, the Dodgers invited me to Major League Camp. I've never even pitched a game in the minor leagues. 
So that was a very good blessing in disguise. I got to know some of the, the older veterans, which we had a great, great group of older veterans, you know, the famous infield, Russell Lopes, you know, Rick Monday, Steve Yeager, uh, all these guys. The pitching staff was crazy with Bert Hooten, Jerry Royce, Bobby Welch, all these guys. So uh, getting called up and being with them, it was obviously a great thrill. We had a great time pitching in the playoffs. But I, the, the biggest thrill ever was seeing the, that the veterans finally were able to beat the Yankees because they'd lost in 1977 and 78 to the same team. And as thrilled as I was being a nutcase at 21 years old, winning the World Series and going crazy, but seeing the faces of the Dusty Bakers, the guys like that, that they finally got over the hump was just, was just great. Well, they, they went a long time, only one time. And uh, Padres, Johnny Padres won the World Series back in Brooklyn, but they went a lot of World Series without winning one against the Yankees. So that ought to be a special, even though they were in L.A., not in Brooklyn, that would really feel pretty good. It was, it was really great. And, I mean, like I say, I've been out of the game for so long now, but I thought really made cool. None of us saw you know, the Yankee Stadium before. You never knew anything about them except going off the scouting report. And I thought that was a much great, better way of a true World Series of when you play a, a team from the other league and you haven't seen them all season. I'm not a, a real fan of this interleague play. I, thought, I think it was great the first five, six, eight years where fans got to see guys from the other league. But I, I think it's worn off. And the competitive balance isn't real good when, let's say, the, the Dodgers have to play their rival, the Angels, every year. And uh, you might go against another team uh, that has to play, let's say, the Giants or the A's, and one of them is really down that year. So you can get a big advantage playing, playing those local inter, interleague games. Mm-hmm. Frank, how about you? You got a question to throw in? No, I'm, uh, I got one, Don. I'm, uh, go ahead, Tommy. I got one. I got one. Okay. Well, welcome to the show, Tom. I got a question for you. Did you, yes, sir. You, okay. Your catcher at the Dodgers at that time, Mike Sosha. I went to high school with Mike Sosha. I said I said off the area. I'm sorry. I didn't catch the second half. I heard Mike Sosha, and then I didn't hear you. Yeah, Mike Sosha, I mean, he was one of the you know, best catchers in Major League Baseball. But here's a funny story. I, I went to high school with Mike, and my, and my dad wrote a Jim Campbell letter he was GM of the Tigers about drafting Mike Sosha for, for the team. And then Tommy Lasorda, Norristown native of Pennsylvania, drafted Mike right. Sosha. And I remember that, you know, I always, and when Mike was manager of the Angels, this is a true story. I came back from Philadelphia one day. And then he told, he told me, how's Philadelphia? He shut down the clubhouse to the media for a half hour. <laughs> so Mike and I were talking. <laughs> Well, we talked no. about the new rules, too, Tom, and, and one of them is that, uh, you know, you can't have that specialized left-handed pitcher to come in and pitch the one batter unless it's going to be the third out of the inning or something like that because they made that change where you're going to have to pitch the three, not right. just one, unless it's the end of the inning. Your thoughts on that? Um, I, I, always, I, I think this righty-lefty stuff has been uh, really – if you're good enough to be in the big leagues, you're good enough to get a righty or a lefty out. Back when I played, you were. Right. I mean, nowadays it's gotten so specialized. I know the numbers say this and that. But uh, if you're a good enough player to be one of ten pitchers on a major league team, you should be able to get a right-hander or a left-hander out. So I, I think it's good. It's the, the pace Nowadays everyone wants everything quick. You know, they're on their computers, they're on their phones. So the pace of the play is a big deal. So this will definitely help that out a little bit without pitchers coming in and out every other batter. Hey Tom, uh, I want to talk to you about uh, and, and Bill. Are you is Bill still with us? 
No, he had to get off for uh, a, a MLB call. Oh, okay. Um, Tom, a lot of discussion about uh, baseball being too long. And uh, it was interesting. I, I heard some statistics this morning, uh, and I was just going to look at it uh, uh, to verify it on the uh, computer. Um, that I think the average game last year was three hours and 18 minutes. And then I think the year before, as I recall, it was three hours and 11 minutes. So it increased seven minutes. And uh, and then if you go back, I know 1980, and you were around uh, around that time, uh, it was like two hours. Roger, it's first year. Okay, well, there you go. It was like the, the year before, the year the Phillies won the uh, World's, their first World Series. It was like two hours and 30, two hours and 38 minutes, something like that. Almost a half hour less. And then right. if you go back in history – it was there was one that was like a, a little over an hour the game, <laughs> but what I I think about is that uh, if you go back to 1980, and when you were playing in '81, and you look at the pitchers that were there, and I'm not every every one of them, but many of them, and I'm thinking right. of Steve Carlton, and I'm also thinking of these players. They talk about uh, the, the backup catcher for the Phillies who constantly is taking his gloves, you know, between pitches and uh, making sure they're tight. Hey, Raul Ibanez did that for years, and he was a successful player. But do you feel that that has to be stopped to make the game uh, move quicker? And, And I think that that'll contribute to it. But when you look at the pitchers like Steve Carlton, he got the ball, got it back, got the call, pitched. No, oh. you know, not like Vinny uh, Velasquez, uh, who takes two hours between pitches. Okay? No, no, everyone back. When I played, everyone works very fast. It makes your defense better behind you. I mean, there's other determining factors, too. Um, I, I just caught the very tail end when I got on the air, when I got on the phone. You guys, I think we're talking about an instant replay or something. I think instant replay slows the game down tremendously. Uh, I agree. It shouldn't, it shouldn't take that long to do it. I do, too. Uh, it's just that I would say that's an extra 10 to 12 minutes a game right there. The new rule is 20 that's, seconds, Tom. Oh, that's awesome. I did. I hadn't heard that. That's uh yeah. I, I don't know why. Bill, it be, Bill you know? just finished with the fellow was on just before you, Bill Matthews is just, he had to get off. He said to go to a, a meeting. Uh, he just, he gave outlined the uh, new six rules, uh, new six rule changes in baseball. One of them, 20 seconds on the replay. That would that would definitely be great. I mean, obviously, a lot of baseball's money, most of it comes from television. I, I don't know the answer to this, but I'm assuming that the time in between innings has increased since 1980 to right now. I would definitely be willing to bet that uh, a lot more many commercials in those times. Correct. I'd be That's willing true. to bet that that during a pitching change, the commercials are definitely much longer. Because when I came, if I came in a game back in the 80s. I threw eight warm-up pitches, and I'm ready to go. You wouldn't have to wait right. two or three minutes for the commercials to end. So all that is added on, but that's also added on to the baseball salaries and the owners' uh, increase of revenues as well. Um, you know, Tom, what I'm Roger said there, uh, Timmy, Timmy McCarver was I'm on looking. with us a couple of weeks ago, and uh, Timmy, one of the great people. I mean, we're one of the nicest people you ever want to meet. And, uh, of course, he played in Philadelphia for a long period of time. But he was talking about uh, he was with the – uh, the Cardinals at the time, and 
you know, you're talking about the pitching staff there. Sandy Koufax was pitching for the Dodgers, and uh, I can't think of who it was. That was pitching for the Cardinals. And, Bob Gibson. Uh, Bob Gibson, yeah. Bob Gibson was pitching for the Cardinals, and he said they got to the ninth inning. It was an hour and 37 minutes. Uh, an hour and 37 minutes. They looked at the clock. They didn't know where they were. <laughs> <laughs> No, it uh, it definitely moved along a lot better back in the days. And, I, I mean, I, I watch baseball when it's on. You know, I, I don't live and die with it like I used to when I played or, and watch it as intently as I used to. But, uh, you know, if the umpires call strikes and, and you get guys moving along and the game will move quicker, that's for sure. Tom, I'm going to give you some go, uh, We have one more reporter Tom, down there in Washington, D.C. that carries uh, – you played for the Orioles, and he covers the Orioles and the Red, Redskins and the – the Nationals and, and everything. Mike, uh, nice to have you with us. Uh, so Mike. Tom Niedermeyer, so I've been our guest here. We're talking baseball, talking pitching, talking rules, talking strikes, talking a little bit of everything. Uh, any questions you'd like to get into? Yeah, is the season going to start again? <laughs> we'll yeah, that's, 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 that's we talk about I that. Mean, <laughs> like I say, besides the financial aspect, you know, everyone's kind of, you know, with with uh, with what the craziness has happened in the world the last eight days, and everyone's kind of put the coronavirus on the back burner. But there's still a lot of questions about that that have to be answered, uh, along with the, the economics of baseball. So, in my estimation, it's it's going to be a coin flip. I really think it's a coin flip. I don't think it's close to a done deal. I definitely don't think if I'm a player, I don't want to play a 50 game season. That just makes no sense at all. No. To me. I understand the owners don't want to no. do 114 games. But I also understand if you do the 80 games and the, with what the owners came up with before, and then they want to do a, another cut. Uh, I'll give you an example because I, I did a newspaper article down here the other day. A guy like Stevens, obviously, I'm the first to say, I think everyone's salary is out of whack and it's crazy. But that's the economics of the game. You can't take it away from the ball players now. That's what the right. market value is. So Steven Strasburg, um, he's supposed to make $35 million this year. So if you play an 82 game season, 50% of that would be $17.5 million. What the owners want him to do is play for $5.3 million for the year. You know, right. there's a lot of injuries that happen to a pitcher. And I'm not so yeah. sure, I don't mean to sound greedy, but that I'd want to play 50% of the season for 22% of my salary. Right. And I'll tell you, you, you picked a perfect example because he's had his troubles on the DL. I mean, he, he, he didn't get right. through the first year. Exactly, exactly. Right. You know, but one other thing we didn't touch on, so I didn't told you we weren't going to keep you that long, but <laughs> I appreciate the fact you've been as patient and stayed with us. Uh, you didn't, we didn't talk about travel. I mean, now, somewhere along the line, you've got to stay in hotels. Somewhere along the line, you've got to play with, even though they're chartered, you've got to fly a plane. Now, right. what are you going to do? You've got to go to the, you're not going to be able to dress at the ballpark. You're not going to be able to shower at your games. You're going to stay well, in a room, and you're going to sort of be isolated. But then I the mean, other question, let's say someone on a team tests positive. What do you do with that team when they're supposed to play that's games? That's right. You that's know? right. That's why I'm asking you. That's, that's why that's I have you question. here, because you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've never been through anything like this. That's, that's, that's for sure. And but, we never uh, want to be through it again, Tom. No, it's, it's this 2020 has been a long year. I don't think any male is meant to be on their family as much as all of us have this year. I'll tell you that. Right. <laughs> hey, Tom I, I, and Don, and I, I've been trying to jump in on this, uh, Don. Uh, I, to, when we were talking about the time between pitches, okay, 
Rule 5.07C in the MLB rulebook already stipulates a pitcher must deliver a pitch within 12 seconds of receiving the ball when there are no runners on base. And And then, however, the rule also states that 12 seconds begins only when the pitcher is in possession of the ball. And, and the batter's the in batter, the box. Or the batter's in the box, okay. The batter's in the box, right. Alert to the right. pitcher. So now they're going to have the 22nd uh, clock, okay. But here, here's the kicker. Uh, the uh, a pitcher for the Dodgers, Baez, last year, the reliever, he averaged 30.1 seconds between pitches. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's unbelievable. You know, yes, you yeah, I've, I've seen him. I've 30. seen him pitch. He's a, he, that's that's <laughs> that's that darn that's based no, on one other one other rule that, that is going to be very interesting to me, and as a relief pitcher, probably more interesting to you, even though you're not playing any longer. Obviously, how do you hold the man on first base? You're not allowed to stand next to him. You're supposed to move back. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, how how are you going to effectively play the game? Right. If you've got to move back. Four or five feet, six feet from the bag. I mean, the guy's going to take off before you get a chance to get your hands in the air. I mean, you, you want to come back and play baseball. People want sports, obviously. You can't make a farce of the game to do it because of the coronavirus. You know, the, there's another aspect that really people aren't talking about. It's going to affect baseball really big at, at the end of this season, whether they play or not. Is guys are being awarded a year of service, even if they don't play at all this year. So the Dodgers could have right. played for Mookie Betts and never gotten a game out of them. You're going to have guys coming off big years that were not arbitration eligible who will be next year, and they didn't even play the game. So it's going to be more of an economic impact than you really think, even though the game might not be played. Well, Tom, I, I want to thank you so very, very much. I want to throw something in here from Bluff Field that you, you won't be able to answer, but I, next time I talk to you, you'll be able to tell me. I, there are only two people in the movie industry that I'd like to be able to talk to. And your, your bride, of course, is one of the people very much involved in movies, very much involved in TV, and part of Law & Order, part of uh, uh, Angela Lansbury and uh, Murder, She Wrote. I mean, she's been in so many movies and so many. I, I just like to know, away from the screen, what is Angela Lansbury really like? Because to me, he's been an idol of mine since the Manchurian candidate with Frank Sinatra. She played a mother. At that point, you'd think she was, uh, you know, maybe 45 or eight. She's been eight decades now entertaining. She's still alive. And I'd like to know what your wife, if she, having played, uh, having been with her and murder, she what, what's she really like away from the stage? So well, I'm not around. She's in the other room right now. I'm in the office. I can't ask her. But uh, we had a very, you know, it's funny. We Between my wife, Judy Landers, being an actress, and, my, and me being the baseball player, you know, and when we lived in, out in L.A., we lived in uh, Beverly Hills. So we had a great neighborhood. We had Barbara Eaton lived right down the street, you know, from I Dream of Jeannie. And we had Tom right. Bosley, the dad from Happy Days, lived a couple houses down. And then John Fogarty from Creedence Clearwater. So I've been very fortunate to not only be around some great baseball players, but around some great actors and entertainers as well. Well, I, I just well, Don, uh, I'm a fan of Angela Lansbury, too, and I saw her many times. And eight decades, Roger. Eight yeah, decades. Well, I mean, can you believe yeah, it? You're, you're it's a lot unbelievable older than me. to me. 
And the only other <laughs> actor, know. only other actor, well, actress, uh, Helen Mirren. I, I think Helen Mirren is is fantastic. So if I were to talk to two people in all of Hollywood for the last sixty years, uh, they're the two people I'd like to talk to because I think I think they're the most even even tempered and most even. Uh, living people in, in entertainment. Uh, maybe I'm 100% wrong. That's why I, I said to Tom, next time I talk to you, ask your wife and you can tell me whether I'm right or wrong. <laughs> well, I will do that. Hopefully we can do this again. That would no, be great, you, Tom. Very, very much. Really and I uh, really appreciate you staying with us so long. All right. Anytime. Thank, thank you so much. Take hey, care. Don, okay. You yeah. want to talk about longevity? I don't know if I told you, and, and Frank, you're going to love this too, and Mike and Tommy. You know the uh, announcer on Jeopardy, Johnny Gilbert? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, you yeah. know how Alex comes out. Thank you, Johnny. Okay. Johnny Gilbert, uh, was he's been a game show host. He is still working when, you know, they do the shows. He is 95 years old. Oh, oh that's boy. right. 95 right, years. Mike, you got on the soccer front tonight. The MLS make a little news. Uh, for uh, Germany, soccer is making a little news. Uh, you got, as we said, a little baseball, a little Ravens, a little hockey. Uh, go to it. Give us a shot. Yeah, and we have officially reached the sports netherworld when I turn on uh, Fox Sports and they're showing reruns of a adult professional ultimate frisbee. <laughs> <laughs> so that's yeah, like the, uh, that's like the puppy bowl that Tommy likes so much before the Super Bowl. Right. No, so the puppy bowl has redeeming ball? qualities, but um, <laughs> no. So it looks like MLS will be back, and they'll be tuning up in about three weeks uh, down in, in Florida. Uh, they announced today that they'd avoided a lockout and they settled on a new collective bargaining agreement. It's, That's right. They had agreed. They had agreed a collective bargaining agreement uh, in February, but before the the uh, virus struck, before they could get it fully ratified, so they had to go back in, and the players ended up giving back about a hundred million dollars in uh, in money. I think over the course of the entire collective bargaining agreement, which runs through 2025, uh, they'll give back um, the 7.5% salary cuts across the board going forward beginning May 31st. And uh, they'll cut their revenue sharing um, when the new contract cuts in in uh, 2022 from uh, 25% to 12.5%. But then in 2023, it goes back up to the full 25%. So uh, they're giving back a significant amount of money to get this done. But uh, they're willing to do that, and that means that the league, which claims that it's lost a billion dollars since the suspension, will start again with a 2016 tournament in uh, in Orlando that will start at the end of June and probably go until – Sometime in mid July, and then, or I'm sorry, late July or mid August, and then they'll try and figure out from there where they want to go and how they want to resume the, re- the uh, remainder of the regular season. I haven't seen anything in particular on that, but we're about three weeks away from the restart of 
uh, MLS, which falls in line with, you know, the Premier League was basically the last uh, major league in Europe to announce that they were coming back, and they did that last Thursday. So they'll start on the 20th. So by the 20th of June, pretty much all the major soccer leagues in Europe will be restarted. Uh, the 27th, 28th or something, it looks like um, MLS will be restarted. And, you know, just when I thought I was going to get the summer off from soccer completely, they pulled me back in. There you go. Hey, Mike, uh, are any of those salaries uh, cuts, um, are they uh, deferred so that uh, they can, the players can make possibly make it up in the future if they have, uh, you know, other contracts, new contracts? No. no. And all the uh, performance okay. bonuses are capped at $5 million for the season. So the $100 million that the players are giving up, there's no – I don't see a stipulation in the – collective bargaining agreement that gives them that money back. Mike, are we okay. talking about no spectators in the stands, too, or, or are we talking about possibly, uh, you know, if a stadium holds uh, 100,000, 90,000, 35,000 being there, are they talking about anything like that? From what I understand, we're going to go forward with uh, no spectators in the stands until uh, the rules change otherwise. Right. In a lot of places, it's not up to the teams, it's up to the government as to whether or not they're going to allow fans and how's that going to look. And so I think they'll play the games behind closed doors. And you mentioned Germany. You know, the German League's been up for about a little over two weeks. They've gone through right. four rounds of games. They're working on their fifth uh, starting today. And you know, they've had some pretty good success. You know, the first couple of games were a little bit weird. You know, there's no pregame, there's no halftime, there's no postgame show. The first couple of games you could hear all the guys talking on the field and it sounded very hollow, but since then they started to pump in crowd noise, which is kind of awesome because you've got to – they must have somebody up there in control because every time there's a goal or there's a call or something like that, they manage to get the cheers on. So I'm like, I, it can't be pre-recorded. It's got to be somebody actually like determining what crowd noise to play at what appropriate time, and that's kind of been interesting. And I think you were talking about um, how the games are going to look moving forward. And in watching uh, German soccer, you know, they played the game. You know, it's been physical. There hasn't been any issues with physical player guys trying to socially distance on the field uh maybe when they're doing substitu- when they're doing um goal celebrations but certainly when they're playing the game doesn't look any bad uh any worse and the early statistics show that ball has been in play 11% more than it would in a normal game so on average in the German league up to the closure the ball had been in play for 63 minutes per game, and it's up over 70 wow. now. Any uh, issues with the virus uh, over there, Mike? Um, not that we've heard. You know, I've heard about players. Um, there was a coach who broke uh, quarantine, and he got suspended. There was a team that had a player who tested positive, and they had to have a game rescheduled. But since then, over in Germany, I've heard nothing. Uh, in England, there have been 
report they've gone through their first round of testing all of the players. So you're getting reports out of, of players testing positive and being told, like, they have to self-quarantine for 14 days. Um, right. And so we'll continue to keep an eye and see how that works. You know, the only thing that you get is a player tested positive. They're not telling you who, um, whether they're symptomatic, whether they're sick, just that they tested positive in the round of testing. Right. Mike, we talked in the first half hour tonight uh, about the National Hockey League and the way they prepared for uh, the continuation or beginning of uh, their season, the second season, and Lou Lamarella with uh, the Islanders and he uh, and, and uh, how he praised the the uh, administrative people within the National Hockey League. What are they saying in Washington D.C.? Are they happy with the formula that they've come up with? And number two, what are they thinking about travel? Uh, once they get started, uh, do you believe they are going to be able to go across the border to Canada where you have a 14-day uh, hiatus? You've got to sit on the sidelines and not play. So I'm, I'm assuming they're going to eliminate that unless the country waives it. Uh, what, what's the thought down there for the Capitals? Well, the Caps are, are, are happy. Remember, before this whole happened, they were sliding. And it looked very much like within the, next, the, the week or two. Um, that they were going to uh, – they might have lost that, that playoff position to the Flyers. Like, the Caps were trending downward, and the Flyers were really trending upwards. And right. now they're sitting at the three spot. They're in that 14-round robin with uh, Boston and the Lightning and the Flyers. So they're – okay, great. Yeah, we've got a chance to uh, – Rest a little bit. We're in. We're out of that tournament to, for, for for playoff for uh, qualification. We're we're just playing for playoff position. You know, we know that ostensibly, when this all ends, we will have home ice advantage. And I put home ice in quotes because we don't really know what that is going to mean. Like you said, how is this travel going to work? You know, certainly. It's not up to the NHL. It would require, if you're talking about going over borders, it would require right. an adjustment from the uh, from from the Canadian government. And I don't know how willing they are to do that. It would seem to me that the best idea would be to keep them in a geographic region and eliminate the need to do any sort of extensive traveling. Um, that way you can keep them contained and sort of keep the players in a bubble because well, let me interrupt for a second because Tommy you, you sort of thought that uh, Minnesota and uh, who was it last week that you talked about were the two, two of the first well, two cities they were going to use and then of course they'd have to branch out to two more other than that but uh, what do you hear on that Tommy what, what's the situation as far as the arenas they're going to use as Mike's talking about I still, you know, they, they were saying last week is probably Columbus is something to locate for, you know, the teams like the, you know, like the Pittsburgh Penguins, Buff, Buff, you know, Penguins, and Columbus is in there in Minnesota. Now, I, I just thought about this as we're on doing doing the show. Wouldn't that be good to have, you know, for the Canadian teams, Buffalo, and also Minnesota, because this year the Canadian teams, you know, Eastern Seaboard goes Buffalo. 
in the Minnesota get the Western things. And now they're thinking about Las Vegas too for the far West teams up there. So it's up in the air, guys. We don't, we don't. I mean, we don't know from my sources. We, we don't know from my sources when's it going to start, what's going to happen to the, the thing. But the main thing was talking about getting get an action going. You know what? What really? You know, another idea, guys, would be if. Haven't played Cleveland. Like the Gund Arena sits are empty all summer. Then you play Columbus, and it's essentially because those arenas right now, this is no arena football league are, are empty right now. Even Buffalo. And the other Northern thing that I don't know anything about at all, zero, hmm. is uh, the television contract. Does Canada have a separate television contract for, or is the National Hockey League all one when you come to the Stanley Cup playoffs? How's the television home to packages have a, work? Um, they were contacted. Oh, TSN, TSN right, Mike, in Canada. TSN. Yeah, it's on TSN. Because, so they, yeah. they'd have a – it's – you know, you, you can only sell domestic broadcast rights domestically. So they have to have one. They would have sold it to, to uh, TSN is the one who has right. it there. And I also think it would be weird to have certain teams get to play games at home where other teams don't. You know, the whole entire idea of finding neutral venues is finding neutral venues. Right. Well, I think that's yeah. why the contracts go this way, guys. Like, if, um, see, like, they still have the signage along the boards, okay, for, for that one arena, right? And then they play, but CBC has the contract up in, up in Canada, TSN, and, and the French network has that up there. But down here for Art Network is only NBC right now, the NBC Sports, and you have to take up the local guys. The, you know, say say the Lightning travel to Columbus, you know, to play the Blue Jackets in their first playoff game. Okay, you, you know that'd be covered locally by Sport Ohio, Fox Ohio, and then Sun, Sun Sports here in Tampa Bay, and the broadcast would be the, be, be the same up there. And then the, the NB, then the what they used to do all, all the old times, they had the whole broadcasters visiting. TV, radio, radio, then the national game up there. If NBC, if NBC wants to air it, they have the booth for NBC. So basically, you well, have. Tommy, Tommy, that's just what I'm asking you. Are, are they going to. Are the individual contracts for the team going to stand, even though they're talking about playing in the, you know, this playoff rounds and all? Oh, are the individual oh, contracts, like with the Lightning that they have down here, it's not going to oh, be yeah. like a national broadcast for all the games now that they're in a, a playoff situation? I don't believe. I think right now. I think they're going to do the the local ones. The local ones. Right now. That's why the owners okay. want to get their piece of the, the local broadcasting. Like say for Comcast and Washington, where Mike's at, we have Sun Sports down here because the the um the advertisers paid paid a lot of money to be on be on Sun Sports advertising up there. We pay a lot of money for those commercials. And then after after the after the second after the round, second round to be going. I mean, here, here's what Rick Rick Peck and the Chiefs did, guys. They did. The first two rounds of the playoffs, then the Eastern Conference final, they did that. Then they made the Stanley Cup finals. They had virtually had the, they were spectators. And, and that was it. They were the, the spectators. And then the NBC and the major Canadian and, and American news media goes and covers the games up there. So, I mean, it's a, it's getting me interested to get hockey going again, and it's going to be fun to see. But I should have told us to Roy, guys. Yeah, hey, Don, Don, here, here, here's the way it, it, it's worked uh, up until now in Philadelphia. I think if it's on, if it's on NBCSN and it's a national game, 
than NBC Sports Philadelphia can't televise it. Now, mm-hmm. if if it's not necessarily a national game, you know, where it's regional, what I have seen is that NBC Sports Philadelphia, and got to remember, it's all owned by the same company, Comcast. Right. Okay? That what happens is they put a different game on NBC Sports Network. So, because Comcast or NBC Sports Philly has the priority for that game. But if it's a national, if it's a Flyers national game with, say, Doc Emery doing the game or whomever, okay, right. uh, then Comcast or uh, NBC Sports Philly does not televise it at all. That's the way it mm-hmm. seems to go back and forth. Right. All right, we're going to bring Doug in, too. Uh, he's, uh, before we talk sports, though, Doug, and also with Mike, uh, I really have to commend from what I've seen, and uh, you two fellows are right there, uh, the city of Baltimore has really been in the forefront mm-hmm. for not having yeah. over overly destructive people. They've made protests, but they haven't been destructive. You hear so much about Baltimore, how much trouble is there, how many killings have been there, and so forth and so on. And yet they brought Baltimore out, and surprisingly, and Roger would know this better than I, Camden, Camden, New Jersey, and Baltimore, the two cities you would expect to have trouble, and they've been the two best cities in the in the makeup of the whole trouble. Doug, what do you about, tell me about that? Well, I tell you. I haven't seen. Go ahead, Tommy. Um, You're going to talk about Camden. No, no, Camden. Yeah, go also... ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Oh, go ahead, guys. No, Don's right. right. Don's right about Camden. Okay, the uh, I think the police chief uh, went with the protesters. It was it was quiet. And you got to remember something. A, a friend of ours was very involved in the community in Camden. And and they, it's it's totally changed. You've got industry there. Uh, you've Good. got the uh, a big new building. You've got the uh, Sixers. It, uh, Camden and is is Campbell back. Soup. Don't forget Campbell Soup. Well, Campbell Soup's that. been there, Don. But there's a lot right. of new industry. Subaru has a big uh, facility there across from Campbell's. Camden is getting to be a lot better, and they're advertising it. And a good friend of ours. Henry Clay was right there on the planning board of the city of Camden up until the time he died. Yes, he was. Doug, well, how about Baltimore? Tell me about Baltimore, you and Mike. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I live in Carroll County. Um, You know, it's been obviously super quiet there. Um, I work in Baltimore County, um, haven't heard a peep. And, you know, Baltimore City... Unfortunately, they made some bad press several years ago with with the Freddie Gray riots and those sorts of things. But in this case, I haven't seen anything, you know, which is tremendous. Um, you know, and and it's just this this whole thing is is such an uh, awful ordeal. Um, you know, so I'm I'm glad that that's the case in terms of, of Baltimore City. For one, for one, Mike, how, about the how about I'm you? How about you, Mike? I'm in between Washington and Baltimore, like pretty much exactly. I'm about 40 minutes away from downtown D.C. and about 40 minutes away from Baltimore. Uh, It's been extremely quiet. Um, And I think that D.C. would be different except for the fact that it's D.C. Um, That's just a part of the fact of the matter is it's D.C. 
and even within that, it was confined to, actually, oddly, it was confined mostly to the area in downtown D.C. It wasn't in the neighborhoods or anything like that. So uh, in well, that respect, I would say don't necessarily believe all the hype. Well, I just like to well, I just like to see the cities like as Roger just said. We've heard so many years and so many years about Kansas, so many years and so many years about Baltimore. My grandson lives in Baltimore. I talk to him every day, and uh, you know, uh, what's the situation? He couldn't be happier with you know. And, and I just think it's sometimes nice to talk about the cities that are doing well. I mean, they spend so much time. Showing you everything well, that's going up around them. I, I just like to hear what's so all the, te- the cities that are really doing well. They already had their run. Do you remember that? Yeah. They learned. They learned the lesson. Uh, well, Destroy I, businesses. I, they won't come back. Uh, you got that right. I, I got that first well, day, and then you go down in Trenton where I was raised, boy. We lost it in 68, and Trenton hasn't come back yet. Uh, uh, right. I, don't, I didn't hear anything about any riots or anything in Trenton, but, you know, here it is, the state capital, and uh, they've never been able to, to really bring back the uh, real estate value of anything around North Trenton, South Trenton. I mean, it's incredible. Uh, that was, You're talking restaurants, 1968. That's a long time right, ago. The restaurants have moved out of town. I mean, everything. I just sent I know. I just sent you guys a picture I took this afternoon, and I know that Tommy uh, and Frank especially are very aware, Township Line and Drexel Avenue, okay? Right. Upper Darby Township, between Haverford, and there is an ATM that is blown apart because they had this group that went around blowing up ATMs. Now, in my opinion, as I understand Banking is, if you rob a bank, that's not a local. That's a federal offense. Okay, right, Frank? Yes. That's when, if you're doing, if you're hitting an ATM, that's banking. That ought to be a federal offense. And I think that if people, uh, these, these radicals, if they knew, hey, listen, you're playing with the feds, they might think twice right. about blowing up an ATM. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it was very, very interesting. As we all talked over the weeks, every week, uh, I, I talked about the New York Post, and they did a feature story the first day and the second day. There were two lawyers. One, uh, one was 32 years old, and one is 31. One graduate, the, the male graduated from uh, Princeton University and and NYU Law School. The other graduated, the young lady graduated from Fordham, and then she went to law school. So they're both lawyers, both working for lawyers, and they were making Molotov cocktails in the back of the car, right. throwing them at the police. Yeah, and they got no. them, they arrested them, and they're out on $250,000 bail right now. Now, how in the world could you think something <laughs> like that could happen? I mean... It, it, it just amazes me what happens to some of these people. Some of them Tampa, the University Mall, I mean, people going crazy in there. University Mall, they're going right to the meeting for the schools. University Mall is a nice part of Tampa. Like, it's the northern part, you know, for the University of South Florida. Like, you describe it maybe a time. It's a beautiful mall up there. There's these crazy people, they want to be, I'm thinking, the schools, 
It doesn't care what gender you are. It doesn't care who you, you know, what your religion is. It, 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 it's, it's a golf club. It's a, it's a hole. It's, it's a golf ball. And, you know, again, it's one of the main reasons why it's such a great game. And it teaches you so many things about life, you know. And once you get to the point in, in your development as a human being where you understand that life isn't fair, then, then, then you're, in, you're in the right spot. And that's the way the game right. of golf is played. It's not, it's not always fair. Doug, Doug, are you allowed to sell things in the pro shop yet? Yeah, we've we've um, we have relaxed some of our guidelines pertaining to the retail aspects of it. Um, you know, so obviously, uh, you know, members, guests, patrons are, are uh, allowed to walk through the golf shop. Um, you know, we've actually special ordered quite a few things uh, for members because I've. I've had to alter all of the shipments that I had originally pre-booked uh, to come in at specific times. Um, you know, one, because I wasn't selling anything, and, and two, because, um, you know, it's... It, you didn't it, know. I mean, I, yeah, I didn't know. Uh, and, and also, I mean, there were multiple, uh, like, Titleist closed their golf ball plants. They weren't making golf balls for, like, two months. So, you oh, know, wow. a lot of the stuff that you even did order, you couldn't get anyway because there was no manufacturing being done. Yeah, I was so, at a local uh, one. A cart, uh, or I know a lot of people walk as well, uh, but uh, when we're talking yeah. about the cart, is it uh, one person to a cart sure. and wipe it down every uh, uh, every morning, every afternoon? Right. Yeah, so um, when we bring the carts out and we stage them, we have, um, we have a sprayer that has a concentration of, of water and sanitizer in it. Um, right. And then we obviously are, are using a... A bleach and water uh, solution for you know like steering wheels those sorts of things um after it's used we do the same thing after we power wash it um we've been going we, i've been given like this past weekend was so busy that it, at like lunchtime i started asking people if they felt comfortable and they consented then they could ride with each other because in some cases you know a member was bringing a guest and they were driving together so i you know what i mean it, it didn't seem like it was out of the realm of possibility for for people to want to actually ride together i mean look there's there's many people here that that are that are you know i don't i'm not going to say they're anti this whole covid thing but they think it's not as bad as what we've made it out to be um you know obviously um you know husbands wives fathers daughters sons etc you know that live in the same house certainly have the option to ride together in most cases they take it um well, they, you know, but they waved down like, here too. I, for for quite a while, uh, yeah. You know, my wife and I we play together on Sundays, and and she would have to take a separate car. Well, they relaxed sure. on well, that about uh, about three weeks ago. But you still cannot uh, have any member of the family or any guest or anybody you're playing in a foursome with. They all have to have their own car. You can't. There's no uh, no well, doubling up. You know. Don, this, the decision to ride together in a golf cart is no different than uh, the national stage slash platform uh, that we're talking. We've talked about the COVID as a disease and how it impacts people from a health and safety standpoint, but we've also remarked um, how it's impacting um, us from a business and financial standpoint. So, you know, they're, they they do unfortunately overlap um, in many ways, and this is this is a another example where um, you know as a as a business that only has 72 golf carts. I don't want to have to tell people they can't play golf or they have to walk if, if, if in some cases they can't, you know. So it's as much a financial decision as it is, you know, a, a health and safety decision. And I think with the proper discretion, which is what, again, I think the, the narrative of a whole entire story is, 
you know, look, you, you can't be gathering with people. You can't be doing dumb stuff, going to beaches. We've talked about all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, I think if people have their own level of personal responsibility that says, you know what, I've known this guy for years. You know, we're both good. We're going to ride together. Everything's fine. Let's move on. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I was at a, yeah, I was at one of the local uh, uh, country clubs uh, today on a business call. Tommy probably played it a hundred times. It's uh, McCall, the old PE Tommy, Erlington oh, okay. Road in Township Line. Right. Okay. And uh, they, they, I was talking to uh, the general manager, and uh, they're not allowed to sell anything in the pro shop yet either. Uh, and yep. uh, I don't know if it changes on uh, Friday when uh, Pennsylvania or that Philadelphia area goes yellow or not. But I think it's ridiculous. Uh-huh that a pro shop at a golf course can't sell something, you know, when you're sure. out there playing golf. I think that's absolutely, absolutely asinine. Well, I mean, it's a lot of this is dictated by either the governor or your local uh, government agency. Oh, yeah, to I determine agree. whether you can, yeah. you know, and, you know, but look, at the end of the day, you know, if you're Joe Schmo Country Club and you're allowing people to play golf and, you know, some guy says, hey, look, I need a dozen golf balls. Well, you're going to go and get them and hand them to them. I mean, it's not like you can't sell things, but people are doing whatever they're doing regardless of what a lot of these guidelines are because you and I can both agree if, depending on the square footage of your golf shop, if you stick six people in there that are going to, you know, buy a shirt or a hat or whatever, I mean, what the hell is the big deal? Right. You know? I mean, where, where, it gets, where it gets tricky with some of these individuals is they won't handle cash or they won't handle credit cards. But, again, at the country club level, if you have a member account or you're someone's guest, you put it on their account, and there's seamless transaction. You don't have to touch anything. Right. That's it. Mm-hmm. You're right. Now, when you say there were manufacturing golf balls for a couple of months, is there going to be a, uh, a change, or is it not all companies uh, stop built? Yeah. Well, the issue with Titleist is that their their main manufacturing plants are in Massachusetts, which was one of the hardest hit uh, areas, as you know. Um, Other areas, um, you know, like, uh, let's see, TaylorMade, um, you know, Callaway, they're they're in Southern California, uh, and so their stipulations are are slightly different. Uh, So, um, you know, I, I know that I have specific golf balls on order, uh, that I've been given notice that the lead time has changed upon opening. Um, like, so for instance, I was supposed to have gotten a shipment of range balls this week. Um, and that lead time has now changed to at least two to four weeks from now, which is devastating for me because I kind of need them. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, you've been waiting for some nice weather. At least the last few days, at least talking to my, my youngsters, uh, uh, last few days, you've, you've been able to get out. Oh, my my son was going to play at five o'clock today. And he said it rained so hard. Yeah, <laughs> I've been down by the shore. Uh, they got washed yeah. out. But uh, oh, yeah, uh, you've had some pretty some pretty fair weather. Oh my God! This past weekend was Sunday was absolutely the most gorgeous day you could ever imagine having. It was light. I mean, it was low humidity. Um, you know maybe 70, 72 degrees. It was just absolutely perfect. I mean, I know today and tomorrow was supposed to be, I mean, it was like 88-ish, you know, degrees here, and I know that they're calling for the possibility of some thunderstorms over the next couple days. Um, But, I mean, all in all, the weather has been very conducive to playing golf. And, uh, I mean, Sunday, last day of the month of May, Sunday, we did 190 rounds of golf. Wow. You know, which, which, I mean, that's basically 7 in the morning 
Um, I'd have to double check. It's it's got to be up there. I mean, we've we've probably had other days where maybe um, we've we've gotten over the 200 mark, uh, but that's a heck of a lot of golf, and that's from seven in the morning till seven at night. So um, it's just nonstop. Dolly, well. I'll- I'll tell you, uh, I, I see the golfers, and I you guys kid me about it, but I go by a lot of golf co- uh, courses. But I'll tell you, that storm this afternoon was unbelievable. And when the shore got 89-mile-an-hour winds and Ooh, that, there was yeah. a heavy rain, and there are 100,000 P- uh, uh, residences or businesses that are out of power in Montgomery County. Suburban oh Philadelphia, Montgomery County. I oh was wow. out of it because I asked my neighbor. I was out about, uh, I guess, eight, nine minutes. But tonight I tried to go because I was, I was over uh, giving a friend of mine who is out, his house is out, in the King of Prussia, and I gave him one of those uh, phone chargers, you know, that I carry with me that you charge and then that you have for reserve when you have problems because mm-hmm. they, right. they don't have any power. You know, the only thing he could do is start his car. And I got to tell you, the trees, the damage that was down. But the other Mm. thing is I tried to go to Primo Hoagies. I couldn't get them. They had shut down the phone. They're out of bread. McDonald's had a a drive-up window. I mean, it had to be a mile long. I mean, I came home, and what I had last night, I had again tonight. (laughs) <laughs> Frank's with TikTok We're up against the clock Another great show guys Wow, we this, Roger, Don, you, you guys are the greatest Doug, you're the greatest too Thank you again for coming on every every week yeah, guys. Of course Another great Thank job you guys. Frank, uh, we'll, We got it all in And, yep. I, and I'll tell you Bill, Bill was terrific with the new rules uh-huh. and regulations And, and uh, mm-hmm. wish you could have stayed on a little bit longer with Tom To talk about some of the uh, the new rules of that, he thought they would be effective. And Angela yeah, Lansbury. That's right. And Angela That's right. Lansbury. <laughs> I'll, I'll okay, God that. bless. Have a great week. Frank, you, you are, everybody. as you know, you're you're the best. You're the master. Without you, we don't have any, any show. And I promote Thank the you. Fighting Word Network, Fighting Words Network, because you got a show every night of the week, and people need to know yes, that. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. God bless you, Roger. Well, I'd like to make a special announcement right now. Congratulations goes to Mitch, Mitch Fred Jr., who's getting married this Saturday in Avalon, New Jersey. And, and his father's main reason why the show goes on every week. And congratulations, oh, well, Mitch. That, that's great. I didn't thank you, Tommy, for talking about that because I forgot to announce that Dan and Kathy Baker had their first grandchild. Oh, grandson, Rio Daniel. Oh, so, God bless. I'm glad you brought that up. I should have brought it up earlier. I should have brought it up earlier, too. God bless everybody. Frank, for my family, your family, be safe. And God bless you and every, the work you've done for the community and everything else. Frank, God bless you. And, amen. And, amen. Everybody tonight, be safe. God bless you, Frank. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces and the men and women police and fire services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please uh, try and make your day. Give them a smile, a handshake, or anything else. These are very, very tough times on everybody in uniform, both domestically and foreign lands. These programs are also dedicated to those who have lost their lives in the line of duty. 
Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcat, Sergeant Thomas Batinger, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Kenner, Lieutenant Mike Zerber, Newcastle County Police, Patrolman Arnolfo Crispin, and Lakeland PD, Chief Al Hogle, Longbow Key Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Highway Patrolman Brian uh, Lazaro, Philadelphia Fire, Philadelphia Highway Patrol. Highway Patrolman Alonzo Moses, Philadelphia Highway Patrol. Highway Patrolman Brian Murphy, Plymouth Township, PA Highway Patrol. Lieutenant Bob Neary, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant Mike Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office. Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department. Deputy Jonathan Scott Pine, Orange County Sheriff's Department. Patrolman Robert Germain, Windermere Fire Police Department. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant, <clears throat> Sergeant uh, Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department, Hillsborough County Deputy Sheriff Charlie Cotlow, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Delaware State Troopers, Sergeant Rodney Vaughn, Captain, Rat, Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Jerry Flakus, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Ardeth Hope, Wilmington Fire Department, Special Inspector Vinicolaccio, Florida Department of Law Enforcement, Delaware State Trooper Corporal Stephen Ballard, Kissimmee uh, Patrol Officer Matt Baxter, Kissimmee Sergeant Sam Howard, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Deputy Bill Gentry, Highland County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Clay Zerber, Clay County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Natalie Corona, L.A. County Sheriff's Department, Deputy April Rodriguez, Pasco County Sheriff's Department, Officer Bob McKetchen, Biloxi, Kentucky Police Department, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, at some time we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and sunshine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your family always in the hallow of his hands. Good night. God bless and have a great week. Shemalek ma'ilama, Shemahezahilma, Sona Shenevorat Fet, Hokuigan ma'ilama.